Mask Radio Influence. Podcasting redefined. Hey everybody, I'm Jen Frederick, America's Best Friend. Why? Because I decided to say I was America's Best Friend. And um, I will say this, one of my best friends is my fridge because in there, there are mixers and fun things to put with alcohol. And so on this edition, we are going to be talking with someone who I basically have fallen in love with. No, not that kind of a way. Um, I think he's going to be a lifelong friend. The unique thing is we've never been in the same room. We have Zoomed and Zoomed and Zoomed and Zoomed. Um, You probably know him from his Twitter handle, which by the way, follow it, go to Instagram as well. A casual beverage. He's in my phone as Rob the bartender. Woo! Hey, Jim, what's hey. up? How's it going? I'm good. Thanks How are you? Thanks for having me. Yeah, you know I'm happy to have you. Okay, so close your eyes. Okay. By the way, when I record these guys, I record them via Zoom so I can see the person. Okay, because it's Rob the bartender, and he can make anything, and he can make anything well. I've decided to make myself that. What do you think that was, Rob? Um, were you smacking mint? No. Open uh, your eyes. It's a Heineken light. What's that? Open your eyes, buddy. It's a Heineken ah, light. Oh, very nice. Was that the cra- I wasn't expecting the cracking of a can. That's a very nice curveball there. All right. I just, as I say, I figure you can make anything. So there sure. was nothing that I was going to make that could have been this good. What are you drinking? You know what? I cannot make Heineken light. So there you, you go. Something that I cannot make. So therefore, you're already a step ahead. Okay. What do you have? So I am sipping on a nice low ABV sipper. This is something that, um, so for a long time, for since the year of our Lord, 2007, I have been uh, working for Chris and Molly over at Christopher's, a neighborhood place in Wayne and in Malvern. So I've been bartending for them for years, but I've been bartending for about half my life in total. So at, uh, you know, 39, almost 40, you do the math. Um, so one of the things that I do over there is the, you know, the cocktail menus and putting things together. So um, kind of finding old classics to put on the menu to, uh, to show people and then uh, creating, you know, new creations as well. So this is one of mine and I wanted it to be a, uh, a low ABV sipper that would work well for, um, I mean, year round, but it's more geared towards, you know, summer and uh, spring and summer. And uh, it's called Easy Street for that reason. So um, this is a cocktail. That, so you've, you've uh, in some of our discussions, we've talked about St. Germain, how for a long time, like 2000s, you know, or like, you know, late aughts to now, it's kind of become what I call bartender's ketchup. A lot, a lot of people called that. Because if you're not sure what to put in something, you're like, oh, put St. Germain in it. That'll <laughs> yeah. fill the gap pretty, you know. So it works pretty well. It's the same thing with ketchup. So um, for me, that's probably Aperol. Like it's it's a bittersweet uh, Italian. Um, it's it's technically a bitter, but it's 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 bittersweet. Uh, it's got like a lot of bright orange notes. Um, and that other cocktail that when we were on TV together, um, that featured Aperol as well. That was called the Line in the Sand. So this one's called Easy Street. So. Um, it has uh, Aperol, a little bit of a blue coat barrel aged gin. Mm. So uh, shout out to Philly Distilling for making a really great product. A lot of people are familiar with blue coat. Their barrel aged gin sees a little bit of oak at the end of it. So it sort of bridges that gap between gin and whiskey. Um, and uh, a strawberry shrub, which sounds like something uh, like that you find in your backyard, but it's actually a, uh, a way to preserve um, preserved fruit. So it's been something that people have used for hundreds of years. It's a vinegar-based solution they use to like with fresh fruit. 
Uh, so it's a little bit of sugar, uh, strawberries, and uh, and a balsamic vinegar. You just uh, you know cook that down, strain out the strawberries, and it sounds complicated. It's really not, and it's shelf stable for a while. Just keep it in your fridge. Do you have to make the strawberry shrub? You can buy you can buy a shrub, um, or you can you can make one. So really, it's if you want to be now that we all have more time on our hands, I suggest hey try to make it because it's pretty easy, uh, and you could use frozen strawberries work just as well because they're sort of picked at the peak of freshness so that works well usually um but if not you get you know summertime fresh strawberries even better um and then this just has a little bit of club soda as well and you lengthen it so the cool thing about this drink is that um a lot of times when you're when you're new to making cocktails you always kind of think the spirit like the base spirit that you're using whether it's gin vodka you know whiskey whatever tequila mezcal usually you go from a premise where you're starting with like a lot of that and then less of everything else Mm -hmm. What sometimes after a while you start to realize that that's not a rule that you you have to follow. It's just a pattern people fall into a lot. So a lot of times, if you want to be drinking for you know for a little bit and you don't want to be falling over or you have you know children that you want to be able to continue to take care of, the best way to do that is get a little bit of that flavor in there. So use like say like a half an ounce instead of like an ounce and a half, two ounces, and then up the other uh, the other um, the other components. So this actually has an ounce of Aperol, half an ounce of barrel-aged gin, a quarter ounce of the strawberry shrub, and then a quarter ounce of uh, fresh-squeezed lemon juice. And you lengthen it with some soda, uh, stick a straw in it. Super unfussy drink, um, which is nice. It's like perfect for you know, drinking on the drinking on the deck. So okay, when you say lengthen it, I yeah. can see you. You mean it goes into a taller glass? Right, exactly. So so this kind of. Um, this kind of cocktail sort of falls in the in the realm of um, what you call like a Collins style drink or like a so highballs are, are drinks that you usually hear them with whiskey, but a lot of times it, it's really come to mean at least modern bartending. It's come to mean just kind of a spirit and and soda or a, a mixer like that. So like a a rum and coke or a, a whiskey soda, scotch and soda, um, vodka soda. Obviously, the probably the most popular one right now. Yeah. Okay. So let me stop you right there. Yeah. Sure. So most of the people who I think listen to this are girls. Okay. Yeah. It is bikini season, even right. though we have been in Arctic spring. That's what I've sure. called it. Cause it's yep. been very, very cold, mm -hmm. very sunny. Yep. I'm going to, it's been like, I've worn a puffy coat to work every day, which is sure. stupid. <laughs> we have this idea that the only thing to drink to, you know, kind of get a buzz on whatever and not be like pina colada heavy right, is vodka sure. soda. Okay. And yet, I mean, first of all, do you agree with that? Well, well, no, I think it falls very much on a spectrum. So you're, you're right, vodka soda would be on the very low end in terms of calories. Um, so that, that does work in that regard. And pina coladas historically have been, um, you know, like on that other side, that sweet, uh, especially the ones that you're probably referring to that like, Senior frogs, uh, you know. Um, why? Why are you spying on me? Why are you spying ate, on my spring break? You know, I, well, I see that you wore that shirt that said like I ate the I ate the uh, worm on it, so I just assumed that. that yeah, yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. So, so I'm glad you brought that up because they, you've, you're kind of illustrating what's kind of been a general trend in in bartending and kind of in culture in general, which is for a long time after prohibition, bartending really went. You know, in general, bartending was really, well, really not even, I mean, yeah, I'll say up until Prohibition was kind of the golden age of bartending. So, uh, really, really, really respect, yeah, really respected. So, you're talking like mid 1800s till about then. It was a respected um, profession at the time, had really quality 
uh, bartenders, they used fresh juice and they were, you know, it was really a, a good time to be a bartender. It was something that there was a time at that point when the, one of the bartenders was making like a Jerry Thomas, this guy was like the first celebrity bartender. He was making more money than the vice president of the United States at one point. So like it was, I'm not saying that everyone was like that, but that did happen. So back like, then, was he in New York city at like the union league kind of he, a thing? He, at one point he was in New York city, but he, um, if you, if you want to read a cool book about him, uh, Dave Wondrich, who's like the kind of the foremost cocktail historian in, yeah. in America. Awesome dude. Uh, really, really smart guy. I interact with him on Twitter a lot. So find him on Twitter also. What's um, the Twitter handle again? Say it again. Uh, David Wondrich. Okay. So he, he's awesome. So he's written some cool books. He wrote in five and that's a book about Jerry Thomas, who's like the first celebrity bartender. Anyway, all that is to say that uh, up until prohibition, there was like, you know, tons of great drinks, cocktail books and real, real cocktail culture. Prohibition killed it. A lot of the distilleries went under. And because of that, it took a really long time for American bartending and cocktail bars and everything to recover. So you, you had this kind of dark ages. I mean, you had a little bit of a blip and with like tiki culture in the 40s and 50s. And then you had obviously Mad Men, the three martini lunch and all that kind of thing. Yes. But other than that, you're talking 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, even into 2000s. You're talking rec drinks, like super you know, sugary stuff. You might have on the written. beach. Yeah, all exactly. Sex on the beach, uh, Harvey Wall bangers, all that kind of stuff. You know, uh, I mean, even when I, I got into bartending in like you know early late late nineties, and now even then it was like just a bunch of you know it was it was like a, you let a twelve year old write a menu, and then you're <laughs> like, oh well, also we'll throw booze in it, kind of thing. You know? Yeah, like root beer's uh, fine. Let's put some rum in there. <laughs> right. It's like the stuff you would do when you're already drunk at home. You're like, well, I'll just add this to this because I got these two things, and throw some ice cream in it. It'll work out fine. Again, why that, do you have a secret camera in my bar? Yeah, <laughs> I'm not saying it's it's a bad idea. It's <laughs> the hangover's a little rough. So, um, so things started to change with some really influential cocktail bars and um, and a couple uh, kind of like giants in the industry kind of changing things, starting from like 80s, 90s, New York, San Francisco, moving things along. Dave Wondrich was one of those guys, and his kind of stated purpose was that he um, he and Dale DeGroff kind of were two of the guys and Audrey Saunders, these people that kind of led this whole charge. Uh, they wanted to be able to start getting good drinks everywhere they went. So it was, they said that on their end, it was almost like a selfish endeavor that they wanted to get out there because they knew how to make good drinks. They'd done some research. So they wanted to do, so for me, I want to kind of extend that to people at home. I want to say, hey, you know, I want everyone to make great drinks because there is a chance I might end up at a party of your house and I'd really like to drink what I'm doing that. So I'm hoping to take kind of what they've been doing and sort of bring it, you know, to, to, uh, to the home. So, okay. And I think, you know, I mean, certainly, you know, for, so first of all, mm-hmm. I remember when I got married a hundred years ago, my dad gave my husband and I, what, you know, he didn't want to, my parents are divorced. He didn't want to give us China or silver or anything, but mm-hmm. he gave both of us a full snowboarding setup oh, okay. and he Pretty gave cool. us um, business class tickets to anywhere in the world. Yeah. And so we went to Greece for our honeymoon. Oh, very cool. All right. So we get on the plane. How's the snowboarding in Greece? We, well, we didn't, we, yeah, no, it wasn't good. Um, it was October. But yeah, he was like, I'll buy you. What, you know what the snowboarding thing was, honestly? Yeah. We had this banging apartment. I used to call it my Princess Diana apartment. It had like three fireplaces in it, sunken floors. It was Buffalo. It was $1,000 a month. Okay. okay. Mm-hmm. So anyway, yeah. he wanted something that I could put in my kitchen 
So it was almost like a big F you to everyone else that was buying us fancy gifts and a okay. snowboard and the boots were big enough to be in the kitchen. So everyone had to be like, what the hell is that? And I would say, oh, that's my wedding gift from my dad. That's pretty, that's, that's next level. Like that's very, that's very cool. It like kind of says a little bit about how I've evolved. Yeah, so that's that. And then we, we, um, we get on the plane. And so Heineken light is actually my adult light beer. I've always been a Coors light drinker. And okay. Sure. apologizer. I'm always like, I'm so sorry, but I really like Coors Light. Sure. Um, but when we got on the plane, my husband was like, you know, we're in business class on an international flight. So you get anything you want first, you know, 20 years ago. And he was like, Jen, be cool. We are not drinking Coors Light in first class. Find okay. something. So I was like, and I was a waitress in college. Yeah. So I was like, oh yeah, I'll definitely order a Manhattan. There's like fruit in that. Yeah. You know, it's it looks like some kind of dark bottle's gonna be involved. And mm -hmm. so of course yeah. I order it and I eat the cherry. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I'm like, I fell asleep. It was too much alcohol, too fast. Yeah. I'm sure, sure. the the air waitress, which we now call flight attendants, uh, sure. um, I'm sure she, you know, just poured something to shut me up because clearly I didn't look like I knew what I was doing. But I will say now, I think I shared with you, so I never had an adult drink, right? And I was always like reluctant to be like vodka soda or whatever. Yeah. And so I never had an adult drink until about a year ago, someone introduced me to the Negroni. Mm, there you go. And the thing that I loved about the Negroni is that I was able to say it in London and all these other places sure. and it felt official. I, and I have to say, I still apologize to people because I would say like, I know it's super trendy, but I was, right. but at least like I knew what to expect. It sure. felt sophisticated. Well, trends are trends for a reason. It's popular because it's a fantastic drink and it's a hundred years old. So you're in, you're in good company. Really? Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, they say that it was invented 1919 Florence, Count Camillo Negroni, that's what they said. But I mean, who knows? See, the problem with drinks history is that most of the people who wrote it were drunk so or recorded it or both. So we have like good approximations, but unless we have something to go off of that's like a, um, you know, an article, it's really tough to kind of pinpoint a lot of that stuff. For so sure. we come to now where, so now that I feel like I have this drink, but obviously you don't always have the ingredients or someone doesn't have a taste for it. Um, so my girlfriends are definitely like we were talking about like low calories. So one of the things that I have put in to almost every drink, if you come to my house, I love a jalapeno in a drink. Okay, sure. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I do like, even for football season, we're tailgating, you know, at the Eagles games, I'll do like vodka jalapeno, splash of lemonade, and soda. Sure. Then I'll do, like this time of year, I've been soaking my pineapple with tequila. Sure. So I'll do a little pineapple tequila infusion. Okay, how long do you let that sit for? It's hard, because I get yeah. so excited. I know, that's, yeah, that's true. But the pineapple that's being infused right now is probably four days old. Okay. I haven't touched it. Okay. How long can that thing sit? I mean, it really, it really depends. I mean, it, it gets stronger. And the, pro the problem with peppers is that they vary quite a bit. Um, I mean, that, we found that out a lot when even not even making drinks, it was at the um, Arellano on the, on the menu at Christopher's. And there are times when you get a poblano and you're like, oh, it's tasty. It doesn't really, there's no heat. And then other times some people are sweating and they're like, you told me this wasn't spicy. So yeah. that can be the tough thing with, with, with peppers. 
uh, or like Shishido's, you know, you not eat nine in a row, like it's no big yeah. deal when the 10th one murders you. So it can be hard in that regard. I would say just after um, a day or two, I would definitely just, you know, take a little, little taste and see where it's at and then you can cut it off. All right. Uh, so wait, first, how do you feel about me jalapenoing the shit out of all these drinks? I don't, I don't, I like people drinking what they like. So if you, if you are taking some time to think through what you like and making something that you like, then I'm, I'm all for it. I think over time drinking, the more you drink different types of things, you'll kind of hone in on what it is that you like more. Um, and because of that, then you can kind of play with different things and say, oh, I thought I liked it. And then taste just changed, frankly, over time. You know, so you might have something that you were really into for a while and then you don't, you don't come back to it for a long time. Like I was a, uh, I was a chubby kid. I ate big fat pancakes for breakfast for like a year and a half. And then uh, I was like, maybe I need to make some changes. I can't wear pants all the time. Yeah. So that's why we didn't have them for 10 years and everyone said, oh, I'll have one again. But it's, it's things like that. You, you figure out like, you know, the more you taste, the more you're going to have a bigger frame of reference you're going to have. So you're going to have, you can say, oh, I like this one thing. And then you start to find kind of flavor buddies. You say, these two things really go well together. It might be lime and, and strawberry. It might be coconut and whiskey. You know, whatever it is, you start to put these things together. And you say, oh, those are really good together. So maybe I'll find out, you know, what else goes with that. And then the cool thing there is that when you look at a liquor cabinet or, I mean, whatever you have, once you get to know what those flavors are, and that's the biggest thing about bartending is, the advantage that bartenders have is they've got, you know, however many bottles behind them. And if they're good at their job, they should know what they taste like. So if you do, then you can kind of make an educated guess about what things will go together. But even then things surprise you. I mean, I've made some drinks at first that I thought were going to be really something awesome and they just weren't. And then there were other times I was like, Oh, this is a weird combination. Let's try. And you do. And you're like, well, that was unexpectedly delicious. So yeah, like some of those, like you make meatballs out of like ketchup and Pepsi. And it's like, this is amazing. <laughs> right. You're like, I think I might be a scientist. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. okay. I'm sure it's happened to you 42,000 times in just the past six months, pre COVID right. girl walks into a bar. Mm -hmm. she's and boy I guess it happens with sure. boys too sure. and they're like you're like what do you want and mm -hmm. you're like what do you think sure okay so first of all do you hate that or do you love that um I, I don't hate it at all I really do I, I want to and I think most bartenders really do want to make you something that you're gonna love I, I you will run into like occasionally you'll get a young bartender who's new to the business who's gonna just push their agenda on you regardless and say oh you're gonna love this after you do it for a while, you kind of start to read people and say like, well, okay, maybe. And, but the biggest thing with that is you, you have to, reading people is important, but you have to ask a few pointed questions and say like, well, what do you, what do you generally like? What do you, because people will always say they don't want to look stupid. So they don't want to just throw out something that you might, you know, a lot of bartenders, unfortunately, they, you know, there are a lot of hipsters have taken over the bar. And because of that, people start to feel like they're going to feel, they don't want to feel, no one wants to feel stupid. So don't right. want something that with ingredients that they don't think they could pronounce and they don't want to order something that they, you know, will take a sip of not like and say, and then have to choke down in front of a bartender or just, you know, you waste your money. So people try to avoid that. And honestly, from the bartending side, you're really trying to avoid that also. You really are trying to put people into the drink that they really want to enjoy. Okay. Real quick though. Sure. This is a brief aside. Sure. Why are we intimidated by hipsters? They're hairy. They ride yeah, bikes. Sure. They drink yeah. Beer out of a can. Yep. They hate us. Yeah. Yeah. No. Well, they, and by us, you mean everybody. Yeah. What I think you mean. So I was in the coffee business for a long time. I was in specialty coffee. I helped start a, a specialty coffee roasting company. Uh, and and believe me, I 
ran into a lot, a lot of hipsters. But and, you weren't you know, a hipster, right? I was not. I, I mean, it depends on who you ask. If, I grew up in, in Southern Connecticut. If you talk to my boys there, they'll tell you I'm a hipster because oh, I'm not wearing a, a hoodie and, you know, and uh, baggy pants, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so I get crap for that. But I don't have, you know, the stereotypical riding the fixie bike with the beard and, and acting like it's 1925, you know, like I, I try to avoid it. I've tried to avoid that. Um, but, but the thing is that there are good components of that. Like I don't even want to just kind of like, you know, crap all over those people either because they've done some great things too. Like they've kind of pushed things forward and they, a lot of them have taken an attitude of like, I really want to make something great. So that's great. I just like people that kind of meet you where you're at and allow you to have a good time. Like that's the part of bartending I think is really coming back is that hospitality part of it. So like early two thousands, you know, early late aughts, people were like, I'm going to make you something great. But then you really missed out on that. Like the fun part of being in a bar, like it should be, you should be, it'd be, it's cool if you learn something, it's cool if you try something new. And I love that part of it too, but you really should be enjoying yourself. And if you're worried that you're going to be saying something that's going to get you the side eye from the bartender, then that's really on them for messing that up. Right. Um, so I do like, I think most of my friends, we do like walking into a bar, whether it's a place we've been to a lot or a new place, and I love saying, let me see your drink menu. Like, and right, sure, yes. so, I mean, because it's one thing to be at the beach and, you know, we grab a beer and pizza, whatever. Like, that's a whole different thing. Right. But you're right. I'm walking into a bar. Mm-hmm. I want a new experience. Look, I think we've learned through COVID, if nothing else, the value of restaurants and how much oh we gosh. want to be there. Oh, my God. Let me tell you the idea, and this isn't just from an industry perspective, just the thought after we are all now together cooking and cleaning for ourselves and doing all this and even setting drinks aside, the idea that you could walk into a place whenever you felt like it, sit down, you know, have a nice interaction with someone and then order meatballs because for me, the meatballs are always involved, um, order some meatballs and a drink and within 10, 15 minutes, a piping hot bowl of meatballs and whatever beverage you've ordered shows up and you eat it and they take it from you and you don't have to clean it. What kind of fantasy is that? You're talking Disney World shit. Unbelievable. Like, think about how right now. A whole new world. uh, I would join in too, but then uh, that'd be the end of the podcast for everybody who. No, you're right. It's like they clean it up and all we have to do is pay for it. It's it's crazy. And not as much as you would think considering like how good of it. Like, okay. Have you ever been to um, the movie, like the movie taverns, like the new ones? Yeah. So some of them are so comfy that I'm like, how is this as cheap as it is? How are you allowed to show up, drink a beer during a movie, and like recline almost to the point where you're asleep? Like and a king, like a king. Like, like a king, and then you press a button, and someone shows up and brings you popcorn and, and uh, you know, and a- In the dark, they find you. Right. Yes, that's all, like, that sounds like, and then you, you look at the money and you're like, it cost me like $19? Like, are you, okay, fine, you know? So right, I have to drive myself to Starbucks to get a $19 coffee. Right, right, exactly. So it really is, you're, you're right. It really has, it makes you take a step back and think like, wow, we had a pretty, but it's like anything else. You don't think about how good you have it. When, you don't think about how nice it is to not have a headache and then you have a headache. Right, because let's think about this for a second. The bitching involved with people oh, yeah. who right. didn't have 14 cubes of ice oh, versus yeah. 19 that they're used to. Sure. I got one girlfriend. She likes limes in her drink. Okay. If you don't give her 427 <laughs> limes, she's going to yelp your ass like you've okay. never been yelped before. Okay, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is so unfair. Because yeah. I'm like, have you ever yelped positively? Have you ever <laughs> right. said, 
Thank you for my 9,000 stupid lines. Right. Yeah, it is. They it, don't. It's, yeah. No, it's true that the Yelp is really the Wild West. And that's the problem with that is that there's just no qualifying for anything. You know, like I wish that you could see their other reviews and be like, oh, this person. Oh. A bit of a yeah, like how we stalk people on Facebook. You should have, there should be something where they're like, well, this person has complained about 19 crazy things. So maybe their opinion is, because I do think it could be a useful service if used correctly. I and mean, we've all traveled somewhere and picked something either off of Yelp or TripAdvisor or whatever. And that is a helpful service, but it's not when people have access to grind and they just, yeah. that's what the whole thing is used for. So, and that, that really goes back to the whole thing about the internet. It's the, the blessing and the curse. Like, oh, we can, we have access to all the information in human history, but I also have access to uh, Karen and her, you know, and her cat. It's always got to be Karen. All right. Okay. We have to go back to Aperol. So yeah, it seems as do. though you are using Aperol as Rob's ketchup. Yeah. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. That, and it's, it's not just because going back, my family is, you know, I have a lot of Italian in my blood. I think that's part of it, but my wife and I, we've done a good bit of traveling to, to Italy and Italy and France in particular, and they have a really strong, um, like aperitivo culture. So they really nail and, and Italy, Italy in particular, they really nail the 3 PM, you're going to have a lightly bitter drink that isn't super, super strong. Uh, you're going to get some chips. You're going to get some Marcona almonds and some Casabatrano olives. And you're just going to kind of chill there. And because it's Italy, so you don't have anything better to do. I mean, no one has anything better to do. Than you know what I call that? I call that the gateway, right? Sure. Because like, you're not necessarily on the floor. No, 100%. You can call your mom to tell her you're going to be late for dinner. Right. But yes. once you have that gateway drink, Oh, yeah. You're not going home. Right, right, right. There's no, you, you don't have the aperitivo hour and you have like relax and have the chips and the nuts and a few cocktails. And even if they're low ABV, you're not going to at that point go be productive doing something else. You're no. going to, you know, just hang out on the deck and, and, you know, ponder the meaning of life. That might be the most work you can do. So it's funny, you know, you talk about Aperol and I think Campari is a similar Yes, it is. Yep. it's another bitter. It's a little more on the bitter end of the bitters, quote unquote. But yeah. yeah, and I found Campari in Rio. Okay, sure, yeah. They have that um, Caparena drink. Yeah. I don't know if I'm saying it right. Yeah, I'm not even sure yeah. what's in that damn thing. But they yeah, also use... The Chassa. It's similar to a mojito. Okay. Uh, yeah. So they have the Caparena drink, and then they use Campari in everything. Yeah, okay, yeah. Sort of like... St. Germain here. And so it was funny because, and one of the most basic ones talking about a gateway is they'll just do Campari and um, a little bit of orange juice with a little bit of spritzer, right? So it's like, okay. it's like a third, a third, a third. So okay, I think sure, it's sort yeah. of what you're talking about with yeah. not so much booze, yeah. little taste. Yeah, you get a lot of flavor and you can have a few of them without, I mean, believe me, we've all been to college. You know what it's like. You're just trying to you're broke and you're trying to stretch out whatever you got and catch a buzz and have a good time. And I get that. But as you get a little older, there has to be part of you that thinks like, I want to really enjoy this and I want to have a couple of these and I don't want to feel terrible. And I want to, uh, you know, I don't want to start insulting my guests and throwing chairs around. So maybe it's a better idea if you, uh, you know, have something that's a little lower ABV. And I'm not saying don't mix in a Manhattan or something like that also. Uh, that's, right. I mean, that's, that's not three o'clock. That's six fifteen. Right. Exactly. See, I, I very much like the idea of times of day and different, and, and that's really prevalent prevalent in Italian culture. I mean, to the point where even with coffee, 
you order a cappuccino past noon, they're just a lot of them will just say, well, no, we're just, you just you can't. That's not when you drink it. And in America, you're like, what do you mean? I just this is when I drink them. And they're like, well, no, it's not what we do here. So right. it is a little bit of a different thing. Um, but yeah, that aperitivo culture is really uh, it highlights that kind of lightly bitter um, flavor profile in a lot of drinks. And what's cool about that is, from a biological perspective, you, it really does serve a great purpose because. We um, have kind of evolved that in that we, when we taste something that's bitter, our, we kind of salivate because what happens is our body is, is kind of feeling like it's something that might be poisonous because in nature, a lot of things that are bitter are actually poisonous. So you're kind of, your, your body's like sort of telling you like, hey, maybe this is something that we don't really want to keep inside for very long kind of thing. So you have... In what happens is it, it stimulates saliva production and then you get hungry and then it, it rolls you right into dinner. So it's really smart from a biological perspective, but it's also just delicious. Yeah. So you're talking Aperol spritzes, which are super, super popular all over the world now. They've done a great job kind of, you know, letting that. We you hear know. your baby, by the way, and your baby I was just is adorable. Say, should, I, should we move the baby? Is no, she the baby's adorable? awesome. As long as okay. the baby is not drinking Aperol. I think, yeah, no, she had a couple of the gronies earlier, so I don't think she should probably be. <laughs> um, yeah, I, did, I was going to say, this is the first time we've been on together where I didn't have the baby next to me, and I think she's just having like a diva moment. She's pissed. Just say Yeah, no, I mean, she's learning new stuff. She's learning, I and mean, she's nine months old now, so she's learning how to roll and doing all these other cool things, and now she doesn't know why she's in the den and I'm in the kitchen, you know, acting like a big chat, so. All right, so, so back, okay, so with the Aperol, Right. I'm assuming you would think if we're going to add one new item to our bar, mm -hmm. it would be Aperol. Yeah, I, I would definitely say so. And then if for the rookies, because let's just, just pretend that we haven't sure. been bartending for 20 years. Because, yes, that's, yeah. That's, where do we start with Aperol? Like, where, what's our gateway for Aperol in terms the of... The only thing you ever do with Aperol is just drink Aperol spritzes. It will be more, you'll be more than happy with learning. What's that. in an Aperol spritz? So an Aperol spritz is, and the cool thing about it is it's literally listed on the back of the bottle. And it's traditionally, I think they, they went three, two, one, um, but... The cool thing about Aperol is it's it's the same percentage as about 11% alcohol. So it's it's really the same ABV right as, as pretty much what Prosecco is. So you can play with the ratio and you're really still drinking about the same amount of booze as you would be if you were drinking a big glass of Prosecco. So really all it is is Prosecco. A lot of times my wife and I will usually do, you know, half Aperol, half Prosecco, and then maybe just a splash of club soda. It does call for club soda. A lot of times we'll just sort of omit that because that's just one more thing you got to have around, and it has some ice, so it's gonna it's gonna get a little bit watered down anyway. Uh, but a cool thing is we've done this for parties before. Is literally instead of putting out a punch bowl, instead of making individual drinks, because obviously I can go down that rabbit hole, and then my whole night is just making cocktails for people, which I love. But then yeah, I you want the night off. So if that's the case, we'll have an Aperol Spritz bar. We'll buy you know a case of each sit them out and then it's just like build your own there's some ice right there there's a bunch of um a bunch of orange wedges and then you just build your own so you fix it up yourself equal parts or play around with the ratio of however, however much you want throw some ice in the glass i mean traditionally it's served in a uh, in a wine glass and stem glass but you know it's just as good out of a solo cup if you're not trying to be too fancy so oh you do God. that and just I a love little a solo cup yeah, oh my God, yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. So then and, what would you add to that? Like, let's say you wanted to elevate your Aperol spritz. Well, that's something where you could start to look at um, if you want to beef it up. I think you know where I'm going with this, that you can put some gin in it. That's, uh, 
That's the, the classic. And that, that really brings us back to the Negroni. So the Negroni came about because that was the precursor to that drink was a drink called the An Americano. An Americano was a lot of American expats were drinking this in Northern Italy at the time. So it was Campari, it was sweet vermouth and, and club soda. Because like we've said, the Italians, they drink a lot in terms of volume, but they don't drink a lot of like high proof stuff because they want to lengthen the experience yeah. um, and make a night of it or, you know, early afternoon of it. So this guy. Well, they they started at 10 a.m. Who we can't. Right, right. You see, exactly. So you got to make, you got to make some concessions. So that's what this guy, Count Negroni, who was named after, was a really cool, interesting guy too. He was a, uh, like he was a count, but he was also a cowboy in Montana and did, and, and he was a, a professional gambler and did all this. this Would you stuff. please start calling me Countess? Yeah, of course. Okay. Yeah. I mean, and the cool thing about Countess or any of those, who's going to argue with you? No like, one. No one's going through your 23 and me and figuring this out. So nope. uh, yeah, Countess, that, that totally works. Countess Frederick. I like that. Yeah, All I, right. Yeah. So, and then the thing that I love about that is that again, it feels adult. Mm -hmm. It feels sophisticated, sure. but not bougie. Right. Sure. Right. That's the thing with, with drinks that only have a couple of ingredients. Now, I'm sure that when the rest of the crew listens to this podcast, like the, the, the guys and girls that I work with, they're going to have a laugh because they're going to they're going to hear me talking about these like simple drinks with a couple ingredients. And they're going to be like, oh, yeah, well, you know, thanks for putting those nine ingredient monsters on there when we're busy and we have to. Make oh, because you're the boss of the booze. Well, right. So I and in my defense, I would say that that didn't happen as much as they would say. But I will say when it's a busy night and you're uh, and you're running around and you're you're really moving, having a drink that has a lot of small you know ingredients with, with just a, a quarter ounce of this, quarter ounce of that, splash of this, splash of that can be, you know, you have to memorize it, obviously, to do it quickly. And it also can be time consuming. But. I was one of those guys who also had to execute it. So I wasn't like the, the typical bar manager who makes some crazy drink with smoke and everything else and then just stood there and watched everyone run around. I had to do it too. So there were times when I'd be there getting just crushed and I would be like, man, who put this on the menu? And then I was like, it was me and I'm an idiot. And what, you know, yeah. so they did Well, you know, it's funny that you talk about those drinks. You talk about something like an Aperol spritz, which is mm -hmm. like, you can extend your day. You know, sure. um, I think most people know that I have to wake up, depending on the day, um, between like 3.30, well, between 3 and 4 a.m. Mm -hmm. every sure. day. And so like, you know, a summer Thursday night out on a deck, sure. people want to, as you say, extend the evening. And I'm always like, a girlfriend has to wake up. So you know what I've done many times at an outdoor bar mm -hmm. is I'll say to the bartender, because, you know, you're drinking, you know, great margaritas or some other drink. I have leaned in and said to the guy, or girl, please only give me half the alcohol in my drink. Like I want the full flavor of the margarita. Oh, sure. But I'm like, I know that, that, you know, I'm five feet tall. Like, you know, I'm going to have a headache. And <laughs> it's funny because more than once someone has said to me, are you pregnant? Oh, and I'm like, if I was pregnant, <laughs> I probably shouldn't be drinking even a half. Oh my God. That's a, that's that. See, that's, hospitality gone wrong. That's, I mean, I'm like, that's a no. bad gap. No, I'm not yeah. like, does that, so you're like shaking your head, yeah. but I'm telling you it's happened I, more I, than once. Oh I, oh, I believe there are, look, I always say you look at someone who has average intelligence and half the world's dumber than they are. So, <laughs> you know, and that's every profession. You're going to get some goons. And, and so there is that, but that's just, that's just a bad job. Cause why, why would, I mean, 
Uh, yeah, I apologize on on, uh, oh, on behalf of all yeah, of our vendors. Um, all right, so I do that, like the yeah, idea that I can have one of these low APB. What did you call that? Uh, low ABV, like alcohol by volume, you know, so like something on the lower end. So that's the beauty of what I was saying earlier with like a Collins style drink. So that's a drink that um, the John or the Tom Collins, so whether it's whiskey or, or gin based, um, you're talking gin or whiskey, club soda or, or ginger ale, and then um, and then some uh, a citrus of some kind. Um, so, you know, lemon or lime typically, but it could be, you know, grapefruit or something else. Uh, and then a little bit of sweetener to balance that out and then lengthen of the soda. So you can do a lot with that. Um, so, so that's like, like we were saying before, someone walks into a bar. Well, if someone walks into a bar and says, okay, this is kind of what I like, I'll, I'll obviously listen to that and see what they're, you know, oh, what spirits you like. And, and I get all that. But then there's also the moment where it's a Saturday night and you see a well-dressed, you know, crew roll in and you think, oh, well, these, this is probably, you know, the, one of those weddings that didn't have the forethought to have the reception right after the, uh, right yeah. after the ceremony. So now everyone's going to go out and get wrecked and come back and light the place on fire. But you want them to have a good time and they're all looking good <laughs> and they're wearing tuxes and, and dresses. So you think like, well, you know, maybe a French 75. So a French 75 is really a, uh, a Tom Collins that you're swapping out the soda for, for sparkling. So, All right, so what's drinking. in a French 75? So a French 75 is gin, lemon juice, um, simple syrup. You could use sugar, but simple syrup is, is better because it's easier to measure and balance out. Um, you shake that and you strain it into a, you know, a coupe or, or, you know, whatever you want. You can drink it out whatever you like. Um, with, uh, and then top it with club soda. I mean, excuse me, top it with, um, with sparkling wine. So, you know. So here's that, the thing. You know, really, like that's like the, to me, that's when you're, at a hotel bar or you're having a, like a fancy, a fancy night out. That's, that's one of the ones you want. So here's the other thing. Um, gin. Yes. A long time ago. I liked gin. Okay. Then I had one night downtown where I had 47 gin mm -hmm. and tonics. Right. Yeah. And I, I, I might've been screaming yeah. all over <laughs> the United States. At yeah. People. Yeah. I definitely woke up, thought I needed to go, you know, in the white van to Betty Ford. Sure. But so I was like, gin is not for me. I am not a gin person. Right. right? And I think there's all these people that have this like thing with gin and it's not a positive thing. No, you're hundred percent right. And then like <laughs> a year ago, I went to this place in Chester County, Pennsylvania. Okay. Revitalist. Yeah. Revivalist. Yep. Yeah. We've used their gins before. Yeah. Uh, the, the whole, it's like some kind of Scientology cult trying to trick you <laughs> into liking gin. And yeah. I walked they, into the they place. Did you like the same color tennis shoes as everyone? And did yes. you have to the beast outside? That's, that's they all were very well-dressed, nice, okay. well-intentioned people. Okay. And they're like, we, our whole thing is to get the vodka drinkers to drink the gin. And I'm like, you people are stupid. <laughs> and then... They made me a gin drink with, sure. you'll forgive me, a spicy gin. Okay, I'm not. I have nothing, nothing bad to say about that. And I put a little pineapple juice. Sure. Spicy gin. Pineapple and jalapenos go together very, very well. That's another. That's another thing. I'm glad you brought that up. If it grows together, it goes together. That's another great rule. Oh. So a lot of times, if you're not sure, if you find two ingredients that are from the same area, you'll find that. A, I'm not saying it's a hard and fast every time rule, but 
you'd be shocked at how often that works. So, All right, so are, do you want people drinking more gin? Will it kill us? Is it a good way to elevate us? Where do you feel? So yeah, I'm glad you brought up that, that story about yourself because a lot of people have those stories and it, a lot of times it's gin, but it is not, I've heard that about gin. I've heard a lot about tequila. I've heard it about rum. And I think what's funny is that you hear this and it's true where people say like, oh man, I had too much and I just had this thing. And I get it, but it isn't the gin, it's the 47, like you said. Oh, so, come if, on! If you drink enough of anything, it turns into fight milk, and then you go out there and you're going to go, you know, do something crazy. That's what happens. Or you end up in Vegas or naked on a bus or whatever it is, well, because you had that many of them. But it's you'd be funny you say that, because I had a Coors Light situation at the Phillies uh, game one time. Mm -hmm. It was super sunny, July, and I'm like, it's Coors Light, it's totally water. And I'm sweating. I'm definitely sweating it out. Yep. And you know, they serve, it's like some kind of miracle grow situation they have down there with the beers. <laughs> like you can't get a beer for under 67 ounces. Uh, yeah. Yep. Right. Sure. So I was like, time before it gets hot. Again, I'm five feet tall. Of course really? I can have 17, right. 64 ounce Coors Lights right. yeah. and be perfectly fine. I'm guessing you became very familiar with the paths of the bathroom. Like yeah, I peed a lot. And of course yeah. I'm like, I'm peeing a lot, I'm sweating a lot, I should be fine. Yeah. Then yeah, sure. Science, really. I was like, is it the seventh inning? Because I need to go home. Yeah. There was no, no seventh fine. inning stretch for me. Look, that's that I'm glad you brought up beer too. So um, <laughs> back in when I was in the coffee business, we made a uh, I think I mentioned this to you, made a brown ale with with Victory Brewing Company with with our coffee. Uh, and I got to meet Bill and Ron, the, the founders, really awesome guys. And the first time I met Bill, I was like, hey, Bill, uh, screw you for making Golden Monkey. And right. like, yeah. so I was like, it's a great beer, man. But this is that kind of was one of the vanguard of these high ABV Belgian triples that Americans still had this idea that, we're like, oh, it's beer. You can just drink a lot of beer because we had been drinking these American macro adjunct lagers. You know, you're drinking Coors Lights, drinking Okay, before you get all fancy beer, for the girls that are listening, what he's talking about is, you know when you go into a bar and it's like sort of red, so you think it's a Killian's red, but you're not really sure. But instead of being like $5, the beer, one beer is $14. You have no idea why. It's because it has the alcohol of a jug of bourbon. Yes, it, it, they're expensive to make, and they're, it comes from this long Trappist tradition of, you know, Belgian. And probably a hipster's selling it to you. Hip, yeah, a guy, with a guy with a immaculate beard and an attitude is probably selling it to you. But the first time I had one of those, I ended up, um, I was six and a half hours late to a movie. So <laughs> that lets you know, no one is six hours late for anything that doesn't involve a boat, I don't think. Like, they, right. like it wasn't like a half an hour, it was like that long. So, um, you're a dude and you don't have to do your hair. Right. That's true. But there was a, there was a hot tub situation in Gladwin. This started off in Westchester. So that oh. let you know, for those who have that frame of reference, I was not driving, but I was going to say, I hope Uber was involved. I was right. Um, we had a DD amazingly, thank God. Uh, but anyway, so the first, so that was, that was a golden monkey story that that's what happened there. Uh, and then, but this was when those were first coming, becoming really popular. So the first time I met, met Bill, I was like, Hey man, you, you, you made a great beer, but you've, you've, you've murdered a lot of people. And so he laughed and they actually put up on their website, like a tell us your golden monkey story. And they got like an avalanche of these from people who were like, Oh my God, I had it. This thing happened, you know, because we yeah. did it for frame of reference or even you remember, have you ever had Matt Elf before? And, um, it's, I, it's, people uh, have, so the thing about Matt Elf is people give it to me because they hear sure. I like beer. 
Okay, sure. Yeah, and it is a beer. That is technically true. And there's camera guys at yeah. work that are beer, craft beer. They have like a craft beer swap or some shit. Sure, they yeah. Invite me, and I'm like, no, thank you. Yep. They see it. Apparently, it's like a com- It's like prison cigarettes. This bad out. <laughs> right, right. Right? Yeah. So they'll be like, dude, you should save that and give it to so-and-so. And I'm like, give it to so-and-so? Like, what do you... So apparently this mystery Mad Elf thing is like, as I say, if you get it and you don't need to drink it, you hold on to it until you go to prison, you can give it to your cellmate. Right, 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 right. Yeah, that'll save you at least a week of making wine in your toilet, which is, <laughs> like, you know, because then you got to use your fruit cup for that and it's a whole thing. So uh, yeah, no, but you're right. But Mad Elf is another one of those things that I remember when Christopher's, this was like, I don't know, like 09 or something, the first time we had it on. And up until then, everyone, all the beers were fairly low ABV because they were all sort of similar. And then, you know, maybe 08, I don't know, whatever it was. And then people were, we're looking around and we're like, oh my God, these are all zombies. Like what happened to everybody? And then we look at the collar on the beer, you know, right on, on the keg, it says like the ABV on, and we did some research, right? You were killing oh. people and you didn't even know you were doing it? This was early, this was a long time ago. It was back when a lot of places would do pints for everything. So then we were like, all right, no more of this. That's when we, you start seeing tulips in bars and then you got guys complaining like, why is this thing this small? And well, it's because this beer that you're drinking is over 10% and it's, you know, it's, it's a really bad idea to chunk pints of those. So that's yeah. a different thing. All right, now listen, I've got somewhere to go to start drinking. So we gotta wrap this up. Sure. I want you to give everyone homework. Okay. What do you want us to do to elevate our, because we're still trapped. Right. And we will have you back. Sure. By we, I mean me, because I own this podcast and it's basically I'm the <laughs> sure. boss of it. Absolutely. Yeah. I will have you back. Don't talk about this topic because we will talk about it at some point. Okay. Do you ask the bartender his or her name? Do Don't it? Did it? Because oh, okay. I think you know what happens when people get your name. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's, you know I'm one of those people. And I will, again, say to them on a Thursday night, please don't give me the full alcohol and please don't tell me your name. But that's a whole other episode. Okay? Yeah, that's, that's a great lead in. I like that. But the homework I want you to give us is we are still trapped. Here in Pennsylvania, we're not even yellow. I guess some people are yellow, but it's like basically Ohio. Yeah, but it might be Jonathan, you know. It's really Nowhere near anywhere cool. Right, sure. Yeah. So we're going to be trapped at least for another 72 weeks or something. Mm-hmm. What is your at-home drinking assignment for us? What do you want us to try, buy, and do? Um, I would say a good thing to do is just get some get some fresh citrus and make drinks with fresh citrus and balance that out with a little bit of simple syrup and you'd be shocked at how well that that just just those two things will elevate what you're making. Simple syrup is simple. It is it is half sugar, half water. You put it on the, the stove for a little bit and then warm it up and it, you know, and then you can keep it in your fridge for, for a couple of weeks, no sweat. What if um, I have the liquid stevia drops? Um, I guess that would work too. I don't know if I've ever used them, but once you know how, how sweet they are, then you can balance it out. That's yeah. really the biggest thing is, is balance with drinks. And that's something you'll hear me dr- or talk about or drone on about if depending on your, your point of view. Um, for that's really the biggest thing, like balance and drinks important, strong versus weak, uh, sweet versus, um, sweet versus sour and tart. Those, those are the things that really matter in drinks. You want to balance them out and everyone's palate's a little different. So you got to take that into, into account. Okay. So if you use, use fresh juice, 
and and a decent, you know, and and then and, and measure out your ingredients. That'd be the other thing I would say. Yeah, get you yourself a little bigger and measure out your ingredients. Ever since you told me to measure, my drinks have been a lot better. Mm-hmm. There you go. I've been able to extend the fun. Yeah, absolutely. And then if you come up with you come up with something really cool, you can actually remember and say, "Oh, I, I measured this out," and you could write it down. Oh, I made this drink; it's really cool. Rather than like, I have no idea what that was. I'll never make that again because it's 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 gone. You know. My friend, you know, she typically has a Cinco de Mayo party, and last year she invited us over, a couple of us, and we made different versions of margarita, and we had to write them down. Okay. Now this chick is part of the people that's going to, she's working on a vaccine for COVID as we speak. Oh, awesome. So she's kind of a, she's like an a awesome nerd, but she's a nerd. And so I was like, this freaking nerd wants us to write down these ingredients and measure the shit <laughs> sure. But then we knew, and she was able to make a big batch and it was really good. And, See? and yeah, I think I would be buddies with your nerd friend for sure. I agree. All right. So listen, it's called a casual beverage. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You're going to start a YouTube thing. Yes, Absolutely. Helping people drink better at home, that's gonna be part of my uh, part of my raisin detri, you know, part of my raisin detri. I love it. All right, kiss your wife for us, kiss the baby. Ladies and gentlemen, Rob the bartender. Woo, Rob the bartender, go visit him. Well, you can't visit him because there's no visiting any bars. We will see you next time. This is a Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy Quick Fix on Radio Influence. Hey, everybody. Guess what? This week on Duffified Live, we're going to be talking to Chef Kurt Kwiatkowski. Who is Kurt Kwiatkowski, you say? I don't know. How about somebody who feeds over 38,000 people a day? Ready? Multi-level all across the board from dining to corporate to every part of it, including, ready? dietary requirements, religious requirements, the basics of taste requirements. This guy's killing it across the board. He's doing an unbelievable job as the corporate executive chef for Michigan State University. 38,000 people a day. And we were able to grab him for about an hour. Everybody get ready because this week on Duffified Live, we've got Chef Kurt Kwiatkowski. Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com.